Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club. I'm your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and today I'm joined by one of my aunts, Debbie Kravis. Hi, Debbie. Hello, Caitlin. It's nice to be with you. Yeah, I'm so excited. We're uh, we're back to Agatha Christie this week. And do you have I don't have any idea what what story we're going to be talking about. I'm very no. very <laughs> curious. Well, the this this week we're doing the story called Third Girl. It was written in 1966. And you have mentioned previously that you were a big Agatha Christie fan yep. when you were younger. Yep. So you may have read this one before. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I remember lots of Miss Marvel. Is this a Miss Marvel one? Mm, no, this is a Hercule Poirot. Oh, okay. And also Hercule Poirot. I read those ones. And I just remember in high school loving, loving mysteries. I started yeah. younger with Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. Yep like in uh, grade school but by high mm-hmm. school I was definitely reading uh, Agatha Christie moved on. yeah there you go so we'll, we'll see if, if if I can figure it out I'm, I'm excited I think I will I feel very confident yeah. figure this out. that's the right attitude <laughs> <laughs> we shall see so this book starts out with Hercule Poirot is sitting at home drinking his morning cup of chocolate as he calls it And so for this episode, I went out to, there's a local chocolate store near me called the Chocolateria. Yep, I know it. (laughs) I got myself some chocolate to eat for the episode. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) To be alongside Poirot. So he's, he's having breakfast and his manservant, George, comes in to inform him that there's a young lady there that wants to see him. And Poirot goes, well, that's that's rather early. Like, I'm selling breakfast. Like, doesn't she know she'd call later, later in the day? And so George says, well, yes, but she said she wanted to consult with Poirot because she thinks she might have committed a murder. Huh. How would you not know? <laughs> well, there you go. That's interesting. Right. So Poirot is immediately like, okay, I'll see the girl. <laughs> yeah. This is interesting. So she's shown in. And Poirot tries to kind of get draw information out of her because she seems like kind of quiet or shy and she, she won't tell him anything. And then she leaves by stating, I'm sorry, but you're just too old and walks out the door. Well, that's rather, that's rather rude. Interrupting someone's chocolate and then declaring they're too old to talk to ages. Yeah. So that's how, that's how Poirot feels. He's really upset. (laughs) <laughs> so shortly after though Poirot gets a call from his good friend Mrs. Oliver and she's asking him she's asking him for some favor and when he kind of says to her that he can't do it because he's too old and that his feelings have been hurt she immediately Aww. kind of invites him over to comfort him or console him because she's a good friend uh-huh. that was nice of her it's a good friend yeah she's she's she knows she knows what to do so before heading over to Mrs. Oliver's, Poirot calls up Mr. Gobi, who we have seen in previous stories. He's like this you, man you hire if you want to know things. Like he's like a he's a private investigator, but a different scale to Poirot, where he has like a lot of people working for him, like younger people that can find has, out things. He has boots on the street and ears to the ground all over the place. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Like start and hatch like Huggy Bear. <laughs> you should look that up if you haven't watched that 70s show <laughs> okay after this 
So he calls Mr. Gobi, and then he also calls a friend in the police department. But he doesn't kind of say what he tells them. He just calls them. Mm-hmm. And so he's at Mrs. Oliver's, and he finishes another hot chocolate. And then he starts to tell her about what had happened that morning with the girl. Mm-hmm. Did they? Did he say what her name was or anything? No, she didn't say anything. She had oh, said okay. to the servant, I think I may have committed a murder, and then nothing else. And then you're too old and left. Wow. Okay. Yeah, not descriptive. But he describes her to Mrs. Oliver as a an Ophelia devoid of physical attraction. Can you repeat that? And a what? An Ophelia devoid of physical attraction, like the Shakespearean character, Ophelia. Oh, Ophelia. Okay. In, in any case, this description somehow makes Mrs. Oliver remember who this girl is. She realizes that Mrs. Oliver realizes that she's met this girl at a party. And that it was actually pretty recently, and that at the party, she had been telling stories of Hercule Poirot. So she realizes, I was the one who told this girl who Hercule Poirot was. Okay. Yeah. And so then she says she doesn't really know the girl, but she could find out more about her from from a friend. And so she finds out that it's, it was the Restoricks are the name of the household, and she's the Restoricks' daughter. Okay. Um, and then the other thing she knows about her is that she doesn't actually, li- she's like old enough that she doesn't live with her parents or her, her family. And and this, but she's still called a girl. So she's maybe around like 2021. 20, okay. I think is how they're describing her. And then she says um, that she's a third girl, quote unquote. And then they kind of give a description of what that means. And it was this idea that um, in the sixties, girls were becoming more independent and a working girl would I don't know, where she was working in the city, she would get an apartment, but it would be too expensive. So she'd have to get a friend to live with her and pay her rent. And then maybe they couldn't find a third friend. So they put an advertisement in the paper looking for a third girl for their apartment. Oh, okay. So yeah. she she's uh, she doesn't have a friend of her own. So she just, yeah, that happens a lot still, right? Yeah, yeah. It's normal now, but it was kind of, yeah. I think, just becoming popular. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the, the title of the book comes from, is Third Girl. I got it. So Mrs. Oliver calls up her friend that had brought her to the Restorix that, that weekend for the party to get more information out of her. And she finds out that the girl's name, this third girl, her name is Norma Restorix. And she does, she lives in a flat at 67 Borodine Mansions is the name of the apartment complex. Mm-hmm. And the... The friend on the phone, they're, you know, they start gossiping a little bit, which is what Miss Sullivan wants. She wants to get out information. And apparently there were rumors that the Restoric wife had been poisoned and had gone to hospital and talk around town was that it was the husband that was poisoning her. Oh, my goodness. So her mom was possibly poisoned by her husband. Yeah. And so we're going to find out later. It's not actually her mother. It's her stepmother. Okay. Norma's stepmother. Mm-hmm. Okay. The plot thickens. Possible poisoning. Yes. <laughs> so then Mrs. Oliver sets up with her friend to allow for Poirot to drop by this house in the country where the party was mm-hmm. as he's like posing as an old friend of this guy named Sir Roderick. So the way the house worked is it's it's this guy, Sir Roderick's house, and he's the uncle of Mr. Restrick. And so Mr. Restrick has just returned to England from, uh, I think, South Africa. And so he's living with his uncle for the time being until they find a house. Okay. 
And then Sir Roderick, this uncle who owns the house, he's like a old army dude. So Hercule Poirot is going to use that as like the disguise that he knows him from the war and go and talk to him. Okay. So, well, in the meantime, Mrs. Oliver is also like, what information can I find out? She goes to visit Borodine Mansions with the excuse of giving Norma a book. So she kind of knocks on the door and goes, oh, I had promised Norma a book. And that's how she's getting in. Okay. And she finds that the building itself, like the apartment complex, is very drab and efficient looking. So like nothing's pretty. It all just has a purpose. Okay. And it's like maybe not run down, but it's not high quality. So like when she gets to the door and knocks, the number on the door, the number seven falls off. Okay. (laughs) And she picks it up and puts back in. she, She might possibly be slumming it a bit from what she's used to. Possibly. It, from this other home where her father lives or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then Claudia Reese Holland is the one who answers the door. And so she's the, the first girl. She's the one that had bought Sorry, like, can rented you say her apartment. Name again? What's her name again? Claudia. Oh, Claudia is the first name. And then Reese Holland, like a hyphenated last name. Okay. And so she invites, because I think she's heard of Mrs. Oliver or... Claudia Reese Holland's father is a PM, like he's with the government. And so Mrs. Oliver kind of says, oh, I've met your father. And so Claudia invites her into the apartment, even though Norma is not there. Uh And they kind of chat a bit about, I don't know, just nothing. When the other roommate, whose name is Frances Carey, Uh and she's like a willowy girl with long black hair that hangs into her face and looks very like bohemian, uh, arty. Whereas Claudia Reese Holland, the first girl, first roommate, she's very efficient looking and upright and kind of proper. Like she's, she gets things done is the impression okay. you're given. Okay. So they both, they both say that Norma is away, but they're clearly uncomfortable with the subject. And Claudia originally says she's just out, but then Frances says that she hasn't returned from being at her parents for the weekend. So there's kind of, a little bit of a divide going on there and they maybe don't want to tell Mrs. Oliver everything. So maybe, yeah, there might be hiding something. That's the feeling you get. Yeah. Okay. In the meantime, Hercule Poirot has arrived in the town of Long Basing or Long Bassing where the Restoricks live. So somewhere outside of London. And he gets to the house and he sees a woman with beautiful golden hair working in the garden and finds out that this is the new Mrs. Restrick. So uh, the the husband, Andrew Restrick had, he had left his wife 15 or so, maybe more years ago, his wife and his daughter, Norma, he had left them and gone to South Africa. Like, okay, not divorced, but you know, he'd kind of not run away, but that, that essence. Um, And so he's now returned because his brother, who was in charge of the family business, had died, and so he had kind of come back to England to take over the family business. And, and so he and he brought with an inheritance or or some yeah, probably yeah. And uh, with him, he brought his new wife, who he had recently married in South Africa. Okay, so he left without a divorce or anything, but then a divorce must have happened so that he could remarry. His first wife died two years ago. Oh, okay. So he was widowed and then able to remarry. Yeah. Okay, so he never divorced. He was just widowed. Correct. Okay. Yeah. 
So Poirot meets this woman, Mrs. Restrick, and he kind of leads the conversation towards the daughter, Norma. Uh And Mrs. Restrick says, she doesn't like me. That's her impression is that Norma doesn't like her. And they're kind of discussing how. In fact, I'm not shocked. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Like you'd have a warm welcome for this situation. (laughs) Nope. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's Poro's reaction as well. Yeah. So she's showing Poro up the stairs to bring him to the uncle's room, the Sir Roderick guy. And on their way up, they run into this boy called David, who's Norma's boyfriend. And he is not welcome. He's not welcome in the house. He says he had been looking for Norma, that she had never turned up back in London. And then Mrs. Restrick gets really mad at her. How dare he come into the house uninvited? She clearly doesn't like him. And she says that her husband does not like him as well. Oh, so he she was surprised. He was just like literally in the in the house looking around and she didn't even he had know. Come, it seems like he came in the back door or something like he she didn't know he was in there. Huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he kind of runs away, not runs away, but he says, oh, well, ta-ta, and walks out the door because he doesn't care. Uh And so then Mary Restrick, the wife, shows Poirot into Sir Roderick's room and introduces them. And this is funny because Poirot does not know who Sir Roderick is. But he's, you know, playing this part of, oh, I know you won the war. And it was like, remember all these stories? And he's done his research. So he knows the things to say to make it seem like he knows Sir Roderick, but doesn't. That's fun. <laughs> and Roderick just thinks he should know. So he just plays along. Exactly. And he, he, I would do, I would he'll do the say, because I'd be convinced <laughs> that I should know them. And I, I'm a exactly. yet, So I would, I would probably fall for that easily. Yeah. So Sir Roderick has this girl, this like kind of secretary au pair. They never really give her necessarily a title, but she's, she's a foreign girl, which is always in these books, somehow this big, big deal that you're from France, like you're foreign, you're not English, it's whatever. But she, she's in there with him. And I think he says to her once Poirot's left, I have no idea who that man was. And the girl goes, but you spoke, you spoke as if you knew him. And he goes, yep, I was lying the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Poirot gets like, you know, so yeah, they're talking about the war stories. And then he gets him talking about the family. Because that's the real reason Poirot would come is to get yeah. more information, information. And so Sir Roderick says that he had never liked his nephew, Andrew Rustrick. He thought that he was kind of a, not a steady chap. He had left his wife and daughter behind to, and he had left with another woman. That was the thing. He had left with this woman um, so and they'd the only been together a couple of years. The one that he um, came back with married, was that, did they mention if that's the same woman he left with? Or it, it, it's it's not. It's not. And they know it's not the same woman. Okay. So he's a bit of a player. Yeah. Okay. So the uncle kind of says he had never wanted to settle down. He'd never had interest in the family business, yada, yada, yada. Um, but she, he does, the uncle thinks that this new wife, Mary, she seems all right. Like she, she's, you know, adequate. She's competent, like those kinds yeah. of words. And she does say there was some fuss about her going to the hospital. And he kind of was like, that's a little weird, but. Huh. And then he thinks that Norma is a silly girl with a dreadful boyfriend is his opinion. Okay. Everyone doesn't like the boyfriend. No. So as Poirot is leaving the house, he walks a few blocks to the car that is waiting for him because that's the kind of man he is. 
And as they leave the village, he sees a boy trying to hitchhike and he recognizes him as that, that boy who's in the house, David. And so they pick him up because Poirot's like, yeah, I want to talk to him more if he's, if he's willing to get in my car. <laughs> and <laughs> David recognizes Poirot as a detective. He kind of knows, I know who you are. I, I have an idea who you are. And he thinks that the Restricts have hired Poirot to spy on him, to spy on David. So he's apprehensive, like you're here to make me stop dating Norma or like get dirt on me, that kind of thing. Oh, okay. David thinks that he's spying on him. So Poirot suggests it could, why wouldn't you think that it's Mary Restrick's poisoning or Sir Roderick's army days as the real reason that I'm, I've been hired or that I've been brought yeah. in. And David's kind of like, no way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> any information about any, any clues about the poisoning or anything? Not really. He kind of just gets a better sense of David's personality. They describe him as, I, you know, I didn't do any research, but it's the 60s and he's apparently this very beautifully dressed boy or man or whatever. I don't know what age he is. Uh, And that was the style. Like everyone looked the same and they're all like, you know, super long curly hair. So he's just getting an idea of. Beatnik or something. Yeah, that's what they say a lot. Beatnik. So later that afternoon, Mrs. Oliver is kind of pacing about her house. She's had, she's just mailed in her latest book. So Mrs. Oliver is the, um, I've said this in past podcasts, but she's the, she writes mystery novels. So she's kind of, it's like Agatha Christie writing a character akin to herself. Right. And she hangs out with people actually solving mysteries to get inspired. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it seems Murder so. she wrote. <laughs> Murder, she wrote. <laughs> <laughs> so she calls up Poirot to kind of see how things are going. She's always big on action. She can't mm-hmm. stand it when Poirot just wants to think, which is like his whole approach. Yeah. So she calls him up to say, what's going on? What have you been doing? How's it going? And he says, I have found out nothing, which he says is strange because if a murder has been committed and this girl thought she'd committed a murder where's the dead body like where's the murdered victim like what i should i should have found something you know Mm -hmm. well we we don't know where norma is right now so maybe she's but she's the one who thought she had committed the murder well maybe she tried poisoning her uh you know new stepmother and then felt Mm. bad about it but then someone knows about it and now she's in the bottom of uh the thames river or something is this in england possibly (laughs) yep it's in london well, I don't know. That's what I'm thinking right now. That's where you're at, yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment. I'm sure it'll change any minute, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, we will <laughs> change 10 times. <laughs> so they also both wonder why David was there. They're thinking, was he look? Was he actually looking for Norma or was he looking for something in his room? Because Paro has reason to suspect that he had gone into Norma's room. Right. So later that week, Mr. Gobi, that private investigator who finds out things, he comes over to tell Poro what he knows. So he says that the first girl, Claudia Reese Holland from the apartment, he says she's a serious girl. She doesn't party much. And she's actually the secretary for Andrew Restrick. And the that's actually how Norma had become the third girl, is that Mr. Restrick had the secretary. He found out she was looking for a someone to live in her house, like in her apartment. And so he suggested his daughter. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. They mentioned if she's good looking. 
I don't think it's ever. This Andrew fellow, I, I wouldn't want to be a secretary. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> they don't say she's not good looking, but I don't know if they ever, they just, they mostly call her efficient. She's an efficient person. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the number two is Miss Carrie, Miss Frances Carrie. And um, she works at an art gallery and she kind of socializes with the Chelsea set, which I have taken to mean that's like the hip crowd in London. Like that's where you live if you're yeah. Yeah. young that and hip. Must, well, yeah. And that must be, yeah, like it would be Yorkville or something in the 60s or yeah, you know, village like in, in New York, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the third girl, Norma, is known as a bit, they say, wanting. And there's, like, a lot of the language used in these books, I don't, like, wouldn't be used nowadays. So I'm not really sure what they mean, like, what you would say now by wanting. Um, Wanting? I don't know. I guess maybe uh, that kind of person that's, like, uh, trying too hard or, I don't know, a bit lost. And I would say lost. Yeah. Like maybe, um, doesn't, doesn't clue into things very quickly or things like that, I think is how, like, that's the impression they're trying to give. So they also, the, this, so Mr. Gobi, he's kind of describing how one of the porters at the apartment flat is really Uh gossipy. And he said that there was an accident that involved Norma Restrick firing a revolver in the courtyard and that the other two girls of the apartment. So Claudia and Francis had come up to her and taken away like I think Claudia took away the gun from Norma and then Claudia later gave the porter five pounds and said it was everything was fine like it was all a joke and like nothing happened and like it's not like anyone was hurt but the porter seems to think like that something might have actually happened okay it was fired it didn't say there was anyone hit or yeah, and there it doesn't know what like what was going on, what time of day, or was there um, maybe evening? I it it's it's unclear, and the porter like to get this information out of him, they'd gotten him a little bit drunk, and so it's they don't know if they can believe everything he's saying, anyways. Okay, but there might something might have happened to that like effect, but they don't know. Okay. Mr. Gobi has also found out about Andrew Resterick that he did return from South Africa about six months ago to take over the family business after his brother had died. His wife's from South Africa. They're rolling in money. So Andrew Resterick had had a lot of money. Like he had made a lot of money while he was abroad and now has come back to this family business that also has a lot of money. So he's, yeah, he's, he's a rich dude. Yeah. And they're looking for a house in London. Okay. So they don't want to stay with the uncle forever. No, does not seem like it. <laughs> so meanwhile, Claudia is worrying about Norma and where Norma could be. And Francis is trying to calm her down and say it's none of our business. Because this is this idea of like, we're all living in the same apartment, but we don't, like, I'm not her mom. Like, I don't, right. I'm not in charge of her. She can do whatever she wants. Yeah. Whereas Claudia's kind of going, yeah, but Andrew restricts my employer. Like, if it, if something has happened to her, like, will he be mad that I never said anything? Like, those kinds of things. And they're probably, she's probably a bit worried because kind of gets the fact that she's not all there, A, and B, she's just fired a revolver. So, yeah. yeah should be a bit worried Could about be. something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel her. <laughs> yeah. 
So David had, um, the boyfriend had come by the apartment the day before mm-hmm. and Francis thinks he was looking. So Claudia says he was, he, David had come by looking for Norma, but Francis yeah. thinks that David was actually looking for her. And she has this idea that even though David and Norma are dating, uh, she is kind of in love with David herself and like kind of hopes that David actually likes her. Yeah. But Claudia says that's wishful and she's, David is like clearly head over heels or very keen on Norma. Okay. Francis might be a bit jealous. <laughs> might be. So Francis then tells Claudia, she was like, I've been meaning to tell you this. I didn't know how to say it, but that she had gone to borrow a bra from Norma in Norma's room. And while she was going through her drawer, she had found a switchblade in the drawer with blood on it. And Sorry, she thinks that that's. Going, a... Who was going through the drawer looking for a bra? Francis? Uh, Francis Carey. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't seem like something that uh, Claudia would do, snooping around looking for things, you know, without asking. No. Sounds like a Francis. Yeah. Francis said, like, was saying to Claudia, I know you wouldn't, you would be upset if I borrowed one of your bras, but I knew Norma wouldn't mind. So I, I was going to take one of hers. Uh, and she, so she found the switchblade with blood on it. And so she thinks that's the real reason David had been in the apartment was to come get it. Because the knife is no longer there, but there's been no sign of Norma. Okay. And where's the switchblade now? Did they say? She leave it there? No, it's gone. It's gone. Okay. Did she go back and check after David was there or something? Yeah, it seems like it. She went back the next day to check and it wasn't there. Okay. But she's, Francis is the only one who's seen this bloody switchblade? Yes. Okay. Yeah. She's just, um, she's just now telling Claudia about it. Okay. So Poirot has now warned Mrs. Oliver to be careful because he's worried that there's something dangerous going to happen. It's again, because they haven't found this murder. And so he's kind of thinking maybe the murder hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Like this, like, it's like something's afoot. Something's not right. Something's afoot. There's characters, you know, a little bit of shady business going on. Exactly. And so Miss Oliver hears this and goes, yes, but I want to do something. I don't want to sit around. And so she decides to go to Borodine Mansions around mid-morning. And she kind of stands around at the service elevator waiting for whatever to happen. And there's some movers that are moving furniture. And they drop this dresser and a paper flies out of the drawer. And so she catches it and goes to give it back to them, but they don't want it. She puts it in her pocket. And the milkman who's delivering milk at that point tells her that the woman in the apartment number 76 is moving out. And he says, so to speak, she'd actually jumped out of her window last week and died. Committed suicide? Yeah. Or was pushed? Uh, okay. It seems that the opinion of the milkman is she had committed suicide for whatever reason. Or that's the opinion of the police. So she goes upstairs and knocks on number 67. And the cleaning lady answers the door. And so this is purposeful. Mrs. Oliver has gone at a time of day when she knows everyone's going to be out because she kind of wants to have an, I don't know, just like a look around or maybe she wanted to run into the cleaning lady. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. But she goes with the. So where she's going into Claudia and, and uh, Francis and Norma's apartment or apartment 76. Um, This is they're in 67. So she's going to theirs. She's going to the other, the apartment of the characters. Okay. Yeah. 
so she says that she is she had left she tells the cleaning lady i left my appointment book here last week and i i i just i have to have it whatever whatever and so as she's pretending to look for it she's talking with the cleaning lady who feels bad the cleaning lady feels bad for miss reese holland claudia reese holland Mm-hmm. And that's because her she's she's talking about how Norma's father is Claudia's employer, and so she, she's kind of saying Claudia may have wanted to refuse if she had known what Norma was like, but couldn't because because it's her employer and she can't really say no to him. Right. And so she's describing Norma as always seeming lost, and so that kind of that plays into the description we've been given before. Okay. The next morning, Mrs. Oliver goes back to Borodine Mansion. She's going to do something else. This time, she wants to try and follow Claudia Reese Holland. So she waits around the entrance until she sees her come out to go to work, and she starts following her. <laughs> oh, okay. Claudia up to. Yeah. She takes a bus with her all the way to her office, and she gets up to the office, and that's all. She had just gone to Andrew Restrick's office. So there's kind of nothing exciting going on with Claudia. So it seems. So Miss Oliver is a little, not disappointed, but kind of like she'd hope to find something out. And she also hasn't had a big breakfast. So she decides she'll just pop into a cafe nearby for breakfast. How sensible. How sensible. Yeah, how sensible. And wouldn't you believe it, but the cafe she chooses to go into, sitting at a table in in the back, is Norma and David. (laughs) Oh, they are. So Norma's not dead. That's good to know. I was a bit worried about poor Norma. Yeah. She might yeah, have just Norma's actually dead. lost. Like if she's always lost, maybe she was just wandering around the streets of London for a few days and was actually lost. Unclear. Yeah. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. Mrs. Oliver to this point has not met David, but based on the description, she's pretty sure this guy's David. So Mrs. Oliver kind of changes up her appearance um, in the bathroom, and then she goes and sits by Norma and David to try and overhear what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And so Norma is kind of worrying about her stepmother being poisoned because everyone thinks that she did it, or her 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 dad thinks that she did it, and so she's worried about that. She's worried about like um, her her stepmother being poisoned, and she's she's worried because she doesn't remember what happened. Like she doesn't she doesn't remember poisoning her stepmother but she had found weed killer in her dresser drawer and so there there's just like she's kind of making it sound like to david that there's periods of memory that she's lost and so what if she did she doesn't like her stepmother she hates her stepmother so what if in a like fit of rage or something she had she had poisoned her and that's how she had found the weed killer and it's like she's clearly distraught and then there's also, she's kind of talking about how just in regular day-to-day life, people will tell her that she's told them something and she doesn't remember telling them that. Or like, they'll tell her, you said this, and she doesn't remember it. So she's very just confused about what's going on with everything. Okay. She then says that she's worried about the knife in her drawer and that she thinks she remembers hiding it there, but she doesn't remember what she'd actually done with the knife and so she found it in her drawer maybe the next day and she doesn't remember what had happened the night before okay so mrs oliver quickly she kind of hears all this and when i think did she happen to notice one of her bras was missing (laughs) (laughs) i don't think so (laughs) i don't think that would register with this poor girl no okay anyway 
So Mrs. Oliver goes out to a telephone booth down the street to call Poirot because she's like, I, he needs to get here ASAP yeah, yeah. and see what's going on. Yeah. So she gives him the address and tells him to come check it out. And by the time he's able to get there, Mrs. Oliver has left and she's left him a note with the um, one of the waitresses to tell Poirot that she's following David and she's left Norma in the restaurant for Poirot to tackle. Okay. So he's not shy at all. He just goes right up to the table and sits across from her, surprising her and says, you remember me? <laughs> the old guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you think you still think I'm too old? <laughs> <laughs> and so he convinces her to talk a little bit and she tells him about how she hates her stepmother. And it's mostly because she feels like she was so excited that her dad was coming back to England. And she feels like the step, like, the stepmother has stolen him away from her again. Like it was supposed to just be her and her dad. And now this, there's this Mary woman around what she's doing. Okay. She also talks of not remembering and she kind of goes on this, you're reading and you're a little confused. So she's saying she was in a corridor, she was outside her door and then she had something in her hand and someone came walking towards her and then that person's face changed and she picked up the revolver lying at her feet. She wasn't in the corridor in, anymore. Now she's in the courtyard. And then Claudia took it from her and took her upstairs and she drank something bitter. And so it's this whole tumultuous speech that's kind of like, okay, what is going on? Yeah. Okay. And then she starts to talk about the poisoning in the house and, uh, questioning like who would want to poison mary because she doesn't she doesn't remember poisoning mary and so paro's going well then like why do you think you he did would. and so it's yeah. so norma's describing well i don't think my dad would want to poison her and she's not going to want to poison herself and why would my uncle want to poison her and i don't think the au pair secretary girl would want to poison her so if none of them would then it has to be me right yeah ah oh, not are you know what i'm wondering what yeah who, who inherits who inherits the fortune? All the money. Do you think like Norma Andrew would... Andrew Restrix? Andrew, yeah, his whole fortune. I wonder who gets to inherit that. I don't think we ever get a will, but it's kind of described as because he's not like a like it's a company. He's not like born rich. Mm-hmm. He can kind of leave his money however he wants. So likely mm-hmm. he'd probably leave it partly to his wife, partly to his daughter. But there's talk later on in the book that if Norma married an unfavorable man, maybe he'd cut her out entirely and leave it all to his wife. Mm-hmm. But we never, I don't, it's not, it's just not talked about. Okay. So Poirot kind of suggests to Norma when she's talking about this, that maybe she yeah. wants to be guilty. And like, she, she has like some complex where she wants, she wants to be the one responsible. And that makes her really mad. She's like, how dare you accuse me of that? And she gets up to leave and kind of goes, you don't follow me. And he jokes, I'm way too old to follow you, you young person. (laughs) He's really sensitive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he also notices he picks up her bill before she has a chance to pay it and notices that the boyfriend, David, left all of his food for Norma to pay for. Right. So kind of maybe playing into kind of what you're thinking about. Is there a money aspect? Is there a money aspect? Okay. So meanwhile, while Poirot is dealing with Norma, Mrs. Oliver has been following the elegantly dressed David on a bus and then through a lot of twisting streets and she turns down an alley and he's disappeared. He's not there anymore. And so she's kind of like, wow, this following thing's harder than it seems. When suddenly a voice behind her says, 
I hope I didn't walk too fast for you. And she turns around and of course David is standing behind her. Ah. Mm-hmm. And so he seems angry. Like his, vo- his voice isn't overly angry, but his his demeanor is. And it's like, she should have listened to uh, Perot because, he, you know, he said, be careful. And mm-hmm. he off again. Okay. So Mrs. Oliver tells him she thinks up something quick. And she says that she's a mystery novelist and that she was actually just practicing following him for a new book of hers. That she she had to have a character following someone and realize she doesn't really know what that's like. And he uh-huh. seems to believe her. And he looks less angry. And he invites her up to his loft slash studio. Because he's like an artist. So he has an artist studio in this part of London. Uh-huh. So he's an artist and so is Francis. So it's... Yeah, Francis works as a like a, the business side of an art studio. But she's like an okay. arty woman. Okay. So she gets up into the studio and there are two people there. There's this man called Peter who's painting a model and that model is Francis Carey. Yeah, I'm not I'm not at all surprised. <laughs> and is she in the nude? <laughs> I don't think so. It doesn't sound like it. Well. So Mrs. Oliver says, "Oh yes, I know Francis. We've met once before." And she, she doesn't stay very long. I think they offer her something to drink which she turns down. And so she leaves and David gives her directions back to the main road because she's pretty lost on the getting there. And so even with those directions, she gets pretty lost again, getting back to the main road. And she's nearing the river, which were part of the directions David had given her when she gets this bad feeling. But before she can turn around, she gets hit on the back of the head and the world goes black. Jeez, poor Miss Miss Oliver. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Then we we do like another jump cut to a whole different part where Norma is waking up to find herself in a doctor's office. So it's like, oh my gosh, what happened to Norma? Okay. And the doctor's telling her um, that he had been nearby and he had seen her step out into traffic. And his, so his name is Dr. Stillingfleet. And he's kind of questioning her about, did you do it on purpose? Like, was it an accident? And he kind of gets out of her that she may or may not have been trying to commit suicide. She kind of admits that she was by stepping out into traffic. And so he calms her down. She has this fear of going to doctor's office because she doesn't want anyone to think that she has some kind of mental illness. She doesn't want that brought upon her. She get, there's, you know, there's a lot of stigma around it and she doesn't like it. She doesn't like the stigma associated with her that would be brought upon her. And so he shows her that there's he she can leave anytime she wants. All the doors are unlocked. And so he's kind of saying... We're just going to talk. And if you want to leave, I'm not keeping, it's not like, it's not prison. I'm not holding you here. You're free to go whenever you want. Okay. And so kind of because of this, and he he clearly has a good personality, she starts to open up to him. And she admits to him that she doesn't think she is completely sane, is how she describes it. And that she she hates people. And she tells him just about her and about her life and how her her mother had been very hateful towards her father but she had loved her father and she remembers him very fondly and she says she doesn't want to go home she doesn't she doesn't want to be around her family she doesn't want to be around her friends like she's just she she seems to be scared of something and she doesn't know what to do so he offers that he runs a nursing home for rest cures um, called Kenway Court and he's kind of describing it as it's this like Again, it's the same thing. You're free to go whenever you want, but it's where people can go if they just need to get away 
and rest. And so you'll have, like you know, like this respite. Yeah. 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 And so I think he convinces her. Yeah. She tentatively accepts the offer on the, on the condition that she can leave anytime. She likes that. And so that's where she goes. And so later that day, Dr. Stillingfleet calls up Poirot to tell him everything he found out about Norma. So now you're like, oh, okay. This is who Poirot called up before. Like they're, they're working together probably. Oh, okay. So that's why when, when she stepped into traffic, Poirot must have seen that because she left angry and he must have seen her do that. And then got his He didn't see it, but he had sent Dr. Stillingfleet to be, to follow Norma so that he didn't have to, like a face she wouldn't recognize. Oh, and so is he Mm -hmm. really a doctor? He is really a doctor. Oh, huh. Um, That's interesting. Pro has a lot of handy friends. (laughs) I know, I know. Perfect for a book. Yeah. Okay, cool. So the doctor tells Poirot that the girl Norma has, he thinks she has a father complex is what he describes. And he thinks that probably she started resenting her mother. Her mother would always talk badly of her father. She loved her father. And so she started resenting her mother and that she's definitely scared of something. She's and that she's taking loads of drugs that she won't admit that she's taking drugs, but he can tell by her demeanor that she's taken something. He calls them purple hearts which I've never heard of, but I assume was all the rage at one point. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I kind of figured this uh, in and out of remembering stuff, that there was something, but I was kind of thinking that someone was kind of poisoning her or giving her drugs. Because mm. I was thinking she's a bit of a pawn. Mm-hmm. Was there any other information about the other characters, like doing drugs or... The, it's not talked about, but there's there's an idea that possibly, like, is David doing drugs? They don't know. Okay, because he's from the artist community, so yeah. obviously in the 60s and that time, people are doing quite a bit of psychedelic stuff. <laughs> you wouldn't stuff. be surprised. Yeah. You wouldn't be surprised. Okay. So she says, she also had mentioned the name Louise, and that name seemed to frighten her. So do- the doctor's asking Poirot, like, who's that woman? But Poirot doesn't know either. And then he also can't tell if the person in the car that almost hit Norma was trying to hit her because the car was like clearly being driven too fast. And so we can't tell if it was just Norma trying to commit suicide or if there was also someone in that car that had an intention to kill her. Okay. So then Andrew Restrick is in his office downtown when he's informed by his secretary, Claudia, that there's a man here to see him named Hercule Poirot. And so Claudia's kind of saying, I don't have him in my schedule, but he says he has a letter from from you, from Andrew Restrick. Okay. And so he, he accepts to see him, and this letter is written on the office letterhead. It's from the Restrick Incorporated Company. But he shows Poirot, he's like, this is not my signature. And so Poirot is quote-unquote confused. But as the yeah. readers, we, we know, we're like, oh yeah, Poirot, you know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> So he just wanted to make an excuse to have a meeting with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So in the letter, it says Andrew Restrick is concerned about his daughter, Norma. And so Poirot is kind of pushing this point. He's like, if you didn't write this letter, like someone must have wanted me to see you. Like someone thinks you're concerned about your daughter. And so he's using this as like a a tactic to get information. Right. So Restrick kind of admits to him that he is worried about Norma's choice of boyfriend. But it's more than that. 
He's worried about Norma's mental health. And he's kind of, he's saying to Poirot, I'm worried, did she try to poison my wife? Okay. Then he kind of tells Poirot his life story, that he'd ran away to Africa, South Africa, with his girlfriend, Louise. He had broke it off with her kind of a few years later. There, like, nothing had come of that. And he could have gone back to England if he had wanted to then, when he broke up, broke it up with the girlfriend. But he didn't want to. He, he wanted to be in South Africa. He wanted to have the more wanderlust lifestyle yeah but when his brother had died he kind of had he he says that he'd already been feeling like he he wanted to return to england so when his brother died it was like um, even more incentive and he did it he also admits that he had consulted a doctor about norma specifically because um about his wife having arsenic poisoning they're wondering does norma need treatment of some kind is what they were thinking okay so Poro kind of hears all of this and he kind of gets Andrew Restrick to hire him as a PI to find Norma, mm-hmm. which is perfect because Poro knows exactly where she is, <laughs> but he's not going to tell Restrick because he, he's trying to, he wants to keep her under observation. Yeah. So when Poro gets home, there's a message for him. Mrs. Oliver is in hospital. She's been knocked on the back of the head. So that's big news. And he's like, okay, d- let's go to the hospital now. So it couldn't have been it couldn't have been Norma because she was almost hit by a car and now she's with in the respite center. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's had eyes on her the whole time. Mm-hmm. So when Mrs. Oliver wakes up, there's a policeman in her room, there's a nurse, and there's Poirot, mm-hmm. and she's a little delirious. So the what's coming out of her mouth is a little bit confusing, but it boils down to. She's telling them about her journey to the studio. Yeah. And she says David hit her on the back of the head and that she thinks maybe he gave her wrong directions that he could follow her. But when she's pressed by Poro, if she actually saw David doing it, she says no, but she had been afraid of him earlier in the day. So she really thinks it was him. Yeah. So then Poro has gone back home and his secretary, Miss Lemon, who is another recurring character, as the secretary, she informs Paro that there are two men waiting for him, Mr. Gobi and Sir Roderick, the uncle. Huh. So he decides to see Sir Roderick first, and it turns out that Sir Roderick wants, now that he's thinks that he's good friends with Paro, even though he's not, <laughs> he he's telling Paro that he's had some papers gone missing, and he wants Paro to help in finding them. Okay. So he kind of tells him some of the some of the details, but not really. He says that he'd taken these papers out of all these papers out of the bank a year ago with the idea that he was going to write his memoir. And they're they're papers from the war, the Second World War time that he's kind of saying they weren't confidential. But now that it's 20 years later, like there's like a lot of he said, she said or like, you know, people saying yeah. that they did things and he's like and i can prove that they didn't say those things because i have letters from them etc cetera, etc cetera. Huh. and so those po- potentially compromising letters that he took out of the bank a year ago he says some of them have gone missing he's been going through those papers and they're not all there hmm. he also he kind of says he doesn't think it's anyone in the house and when he's he's asked he kind of says he doesn't think it's andrew it doesn't like andrew restrict doesn't seem like the type and the wife is too consumed with flowers. And then he also says she wears a wig and 
secret service agents never wear wigs like you that's not how you disguise yourself these days so sorry who who doesn't wear a wig mary is that her name the yeah wife? he he says that he saw what she was gardening one day and she'd stood up and it got hooked on a rose bush and kind of twisted her hair oh okay huh um and he also refuses to she believe that it's golden, his she doesn't have golden locks that uh perot mentioned Sir Roderick mentions, um, I think maybe he caught wind from Andrew, that Mary had had uh, like an illness as uh, like years ago and lost a lot of her hair. Okay, so what's the age of this Mary? Like, do they say she's a young, like a lot younger than um, Andrew or? Um, Maybe slightly younger, but not young. Okay, all right. Um, And then uh, Sir Roderick also refuses to believe that it's his au pair secretary girl. And you get the feeling that he's in love with her. Like, she can do no wrong. You're right. Okay. So the girl comes to get him, and then they go off together. And then Mr. Gobi comes into the room. And he starts with a background on the Restrick family. And he kind of says, everything's above board. Like, there's there's no black sheep in the family. Not, not I can't find anything wrong with anybody. Yeah. Huh. He goes into David Baker, who he says has been on probation twice. He's done like a couple of petty crimes. And he was suspected of an important art robbery, but it was never proven. Like that never went to trial. And that he also likes to date rich girls. And he can be bought off by fathers wanting their daughters not to date him. Nice. Nice, charming fellow. Yeah. So this strikes a chord with Poirot because when he was in the office the day before with Andrew Restrick earlier that day, he had, you know, Andrew Restrick had said, that's not my signature. And when he had said, that's not his signature to prove it, he had shown Poirot a check that he had just signed to show him what his signature looked like. And Poirot read the entire check and saw that it was a large sum to David Baker. Oh, okay. So he's trying to pay him off to get him out of his daughter's hair. So it Perhaps. should seem, yeah, that's what Paro yeah. suspecting. Yeah. Mr. Gobi's also looked into Claudia Reese Holland. She said he says that she's all right. She's only been secretary to Restrick for a couple of months, but she's been secretary to a few other places and has great um, reviews everywhere. Mm-hmm. He also kind of mentions you didn't. Ask, he's telling Paro you didn't ask about this information, but that girl that was just here that picked up Sir Roderick, the secretary au pair girl. Mm-hmm. I recognize her a few weeks ago or a few months ago, I was following this man and he sat down on the same bench as that girl. The girl left behind her book and the man picked up the book and walked away with it. So he's like suggesting, is she part of some like secret service Intel group? Well, Mr. Something, something, Mr. Gobi recognized her because he was affiliated or following the person she left the book to. And it was just, yeah. so I remember seeing her. Okay. Yeah, it was it was just a um, a coincidence. He had been tasked, he had been paid to follow this other man, and yeah, had come in contact with her. Okay. So Poro oh goes. Really confusing. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot going on. <laughs> All, yeah. There's always a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> so Poro goes over to Mrs. Oliver's house to talk to her, and he's kind of going, "Where is the murder? Like, if this girl says that a murder was committed, there should be a murder." And Mrs. Oliver is saying, well, what about the potential poisoning? And Poirot's going, yes, but she didn't die. Like, 
that Norma would know that she didn't die. She wouldn't think she'd committed a murder. She wouldn't have said, I think I've committed a murder. She would have said, I think I poisoned someone or like, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then they're going, is that, is the au pair girl a spy? Were those papers actually important? What is the right pattern? Like there's so many people that fit in here or there. What's, what's correct. There's so many yeah. links like Claudia being the secretary. And so Mrs. Oliver jokes that maybe Claudia pushed that woman out of the window, like she hadn't committed suicide. And Poirot pounces on that. He's like, what did you say about a woman committing suicide in the same apartment complex? You didn't tell me about this before. I know that's what I was wondering about. Like, there's the murder, but... Yeah, no, exactly. And so that's that's Poirot's opinion too. He's like, suicide? And anywhere in the book, does it say how Claudia and Francis be, are, are friends and why did they get an apartment together in the first place? No, no, it doesn't mention their friendship. Okay. They seem when they, when it does show them talking together, they seem friendly, but no, there's no description of how they know each other. Okay. So Poirot goes home to like, think everything over his favorite practice when the au pair girl comes to see him. Mm-hmm. So she wants to make it known to Poirot that she did not steal those papers and anyone who says she did is wrong, that Sir Roderick loses things all the time and he probably just put them in a drawer he forgot about and like she's sure they'll turn up. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't, she also says that she doesn't like Mrs. Restrick and she doesn't think that Mrs. Restrick likes her. And she thinks that Mrs. Restrick or Mary Restrick is seeing another man Because she's always going to London. She spends a lot of time in London that her husband doesn't know about. Mm -hmm. She also thinks, since they mentioned again, that Norma must not all be all there is what she says. And that Mm -hmm. she's acting like she's in a dream or that she doesn't hear you a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. She's just out of it. Mm -hmm. So that all happens. Poirot, now that he knows about this potential suicide, potential murder, he goes to visit Borodine Mansions himself. Mm-hmm. And to ask about that woman. And so he finds out from the manager of the building that her name was Louise Charpentier. Charpentier. And she'd been around 40 to 45. And then he gets taken out to visit her old flat. And kind of the same thing as before. The number falls off the door. So he's kind of thinking just bad quality. Yeah. And he is told that she drank a lot and had a lot of kind of parties. She wasn't necessarily the best tenant and that she had not been a happy person. So they don't say this, but I like I, nowadays we might say like she might've been suffering from depression possibly. Mm-hmm. So they think like that was, they think that's the reason she committed suicide. That's the manager of the apartment, his mm-hmm. opinion. Okay. So then Poirot goes from there to see Chief Inspector Neil. So he's the guy at Scotland Yard at the police that you've called up at the beginning of the book. And he's there to kind of get the official dirt on the case. Like, what are the police saying about this? And so basically he doesn't share anything new that we don't already know other than Louise Charpentier, Charpentier, the the woman who had committed suicide. She was a mistress to the MP, Mr. Reese Holland, who is Claudia's father. Okay. So they don't specify a time period. This could have been like years ago, but for for six months, she had been the mistress. Mm -hmm. Then Poirot goes, he's covering all his bases right now. So then he goes to the art gallery where Francis Carey works. And apparently it's like a dubious place. Like it's a lot of uh, 
scheming or trying to convince people to pay more money for art than they should. Okay. But they don't really shed any new light on what's going on. The, the guy who's working there knows David Baker and knows some of the other artist people. He doesn't like them, but he doesn't have anything really to say about them. Okay. He does say Frances is really good with business and she had just arranged a show in Portugal. Okay. Poirot is still feeling pretty lost. He thinks the... He really feels like money must play into it somehow. But again, it's like, who has been murdered? Like, is it this Louise woman? Could it be someone else? Like, yeah. what's going on? He's very confused. So then Andrew Restrick has asked Poirot for like an update on what's going on. And Poirot doesn't want to, but he has to go. So he goes to see yeah. him. And Andrew Restrick seems really on edge and really worried about his daughter. And he's, you can kind of, he doesn't say it, but he's, he seems to be worried that she might be dead. The fact that she hasn't turned up. Mm-hmm. So Poirot reassures him that he's kind of saying if she was dead, she'd be so much easier to find. Like she's probably just gone off with friends. Like she just doesn't want to be yeah. found. And then he tells Andrew, like, you know, the police would be much more effective at finding her. But Restrick is adamant that he doesn't want the police. He doesn't want a scandal. He doesn't want, yeah. you know, anything like that. And then Restrick also admits to Poirot that he really is hating business life and he thinks he's planning to move back to Africa, especially with everything that's going on with Norma. He wants to bring her with him and just get out of it all. Hmm. So next, Poirot visits the headmistress of Norma's old school where she had gone to school as a girl because he wants to know, he wants to like know Norma's character from like an outside perspective. Like what, what was she like growing up? What is she like? And so the headmistress says she was an average, average scholastically, like she wasn't super smart. She wasn't, was competent. And then she was, they, they call her no more neurotic than other teens. So mm-hmm. I don't know, moody, maybe as another word. Mm-hmm. And then she, but she's also added adamant that there was no quote unquote mental instability, which is how they say yeah. it in the book. But I think nowadays we just say mental illness. Like yeah. She's like, there's. No, Norma had, like, no, she's not, she has no mental illness. So now Poirot is like, okay, I got a lot of thinking to do. So he thinks down, he's just asking himself a whole bunch of questions. And so how, do you want to talk, like, about how you're feeling about everything that's going on? Yeah, yeah, well, I I kind of have this, this is my sense that Norma, because, you know, obviously uh, Claudia knows that, She's saying, everyone's saying, oh, she doesn't want to have this woman here. It's her boss. But I think she did want Norma to move in. And so Norma moves uh-huh. in and then she has this connection to this party person going on down there with all kinds of access to to drugs that Claudia told mm. from long ago that, you know, kind of maybe was the mistress or somehow ruined her family. So that gets... Uh-huh the whole idea that Norman's Norma's wanting or unhedged because, you know, they're giving her drugs somehow, whether she knows or not knows, I don't know, but whatever they're yeah. giving her, she says episodes. So then there's some bizarro thing about this gun. So we don't know about that, but it happens there. And mm-hmm. uh, it just seems like Claudia is connected to a lot of stuff. And then there's the subplot of this um, Francis and, and David. So, I think for sure this David is using her and obviously Francis is involved because they're at the same studio and they're, you know, up to shady 
business going on. I'm not sure yet how it's connected to Claudia and it might just be that she's using her, you know, somehow to deflect from, from her or something, or she knows mm -hmm. something about it. I'm not really sure how that's going on, but I think right now I'm thinking, oh, and then the wife, Mary, she's, she's up to something probably. And who knows? <laughs> she probably, she's probably somehow someone else cause she wears a wig. So I don't know, maybe she's, you know, we've met her in a different way. We're just not sure who she is yet. Um, but so I think several things going on. Yeah, I think I think right now I'm just thinking Andrew's pretty well. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know. I <laughs> I, I, I really don't know. But I I think uh, for those of us you're thinking, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. There. And I'm not sure which is if they're all related or if there's just some side plot going on. And then the, you know, which is the one that's involved with uh, that. Yeah. Woman jumping out the window or being pushed who knows yeah so Poirot's having all like he's thinking through everything and trying to make connections and whatnot and he kind of realizes that Louise Charpentier or Charpentier the woman who had jumped out of the window yeah. he kind of realizes Louise that Andrew Restrick he woman he ran away with her first name was Louise could they be the same person and he thinks oh. just there's no it can't be coincidence like it has he thinks they must be the same person she's just been married since and so has like a new last name did louise have a child named francis i wonder <laughs> step stepsister and francis francis then there would be an inheritance that way somehow mm, i don't know i don't know so, yeah, interesting. So Carl, when he when he latches onto this Louise thing, he's like, "Yeah, okay, this is here's the link. Now let's think about it. If the, if that was a murder, who would want yeah. to murder Louise?" Mm -hmm. So kind of at this moment, Mrs. Oliver calls, but Poirot tells his secretary, "I don't want to answer it. I don't want to talk to her. I just need to think. I need silence." And then it hits him, and everything comes to him, and he, he knows what's happened. Yeah. He's there. So annoying. He's so annoying. <laughs> he is. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, as well so he's he's kind of realized this and now he's going to try and like you know he's he knows the answer but he has to fit in all the pieces yeah. when dr stillingfleet calls and he tells her he tells poirot norma has walked out she's left the nursing home and yeah. poirot's all upset he's like how could you let this happen and the doctor goes that was the agreement like i told her you're free to go whenever you want it would like i would all my progress would be for nothing if i didn't let her leave and so Poirot realizes that she had no contact with the outside world. Like she hadn't gotten phone calls. Yeah. No one knew she was there. So it yeah. must have been an ad in the newspaper. And so they find the ad that they think it must be. And it's telling, there's like a code word. And it says, meet me at the flat at 430. So it's like, okay, we got to act. Let's go. Okay. Who put the ad in? Good question. There's no, there's no name. So Carrie Francis is walking towards Borodine Mansions with a friend of hers. She's coming back from the train station. And so she turns into her building and goes up the stairs. And when she gets into her apartment, she just starts screaming and screaming because David Baker is lying dead in the sitting room floor in a pool of blood. And so she runs over to a neighbor and starts banging on the door and screaming Luckily, this woman is very has a very strong head on her shoulders. And so she goes over to the apartment to kind of see what's going on. 
And she doesn't just see this dead man on the floor. She sees another figure. It's Norma. Norma's dead too? No, Norma's standing there um, holding the knife. Oh. So I'm going to read you a quote from the book about um, what Norma said. So Norma says to this neighbor, yes, I've killed him. The blood got on my hands from the knife. I went into the bathroom to wash it off, but you can't really wash things like that off, can you? And then I came back in here to see if it was really true, but it is. Poor David. But I suppose I had to do it. So then the neighbor asks, indeed, why did you have to do it? And Norma replies, I don't know. At least I suppose I do, really. He was in great trouble. He sent for me and I came. But I wanted to be free of him. I wanted to get away from him. I didn't really love him. Tate anyone. It isn't safe because you never know what you might do like Louise. And then she says quietly to the neighbor, shouldn't you better ring up the police? So we don't know how long, when she went to the apartment, we don't know, they don't give you any idea of how, what the time frame is of when she left, when she got that note, to when she went she, there? Like, no. So they think, they think the ad in the paper said 4.30, but she had left the nursing home around in the morning, around 10.30. So there was a big time gap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she referenced Louise. Yeah. This is probably the last, this is where like, Poirot knows what's going on. We've, we've, we've come across definitely yeah. definite murder. Do you have any tie pieces of things you'd like to tie together? <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a difficult one. Well, I really, uh-huh. I really, this is my feeling is that um, Norma's mm-hmm. a pawn. So she's been mm-hmm. set up. Her mental illness has been a, 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 the long game of whatever was happening in Louise's apartment and all these players was to set it up so that she was already convincing herself that she's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if, um, I don't know that Francis is the biggest mystery to me. Because I'm not sure how she's uh, she's connected, but I I really feel there's something there's something about that Louise already being associated like so she was dumped by this Andrew guy, and I feel mm-hmm. like there's probably I don't know some kind of there's some kind of an, something to do with the inheritance or something, and they wanted to have it blamed on uh, Norma, and maybe. Mm. Maybe, maybe Andrew, the her father, maybe her father was uh, was trying like she she was blackmailing him about one of the like some kind of love child they had or something and oh, and uh, yeah. and she and he was just trying to set something up so that it making his daughter the fall girl or whatever because you know mm-hmm. yeah and now he's like I don't know. Maybe he paid off David because he had David paid David to date his daughter so that he could do that. And now it's his secretary, uh, you know, uh-huh. those the hoots, you know, or something or, you know, and then he became a loose string. So that's where I'm at like that. I can't get any farther than that. But the, that's yeah, that's your idea is what's going on. But I that's what I'm thinking. That's as far as I can go. It's too complicated to keep all the moving parts together. Oh, it definitely is. That's good. That's good. So that's what I'm thinking. So, so Poro, Poro's got to, you know, he's got to setting his plan into action of, you know, it's all theatrical and how he's going to show people that he knows what's going on. Yeah. So he goes to, 
he calls up some people. So he calls up Dr. Sillingfleet to get him there. And he calls the chief inspector, Neil, the Mm -hmm. Scotland Yard guy. And so when everyone's there and everyone's sitting in the room and the body's been removed and everything, I think Dr. Stillingfleet starts. They got, get Norma back into the room to question her. And they kind of realize that she's saying that she killed David, but she doesn't actually remember doing it. She just saw the knife with blood on it and picked it up. And they find that um, she describes the blood as being sticky, not liquidy, which makes them realize it's been sitting there for a while. Yeah. By the time she's she's picked up the knife. And so same thing when she's describing, she was saying, yes, I must have killed Louise. I must have pushed her out of the window. And they go, well, do you remember doing it? And she says, no, but I, I remember standing outside her door number 76 and I was holding the material of the curtains in my hand yeah and you know they they told me I had done it or something like that and so she's she doesn't she she doesn't actually remember doing it she just feels like she must have like she feels like it would be easier to say just get it over with and say and it must be like whatever someone poisoned the you know Mary they just make because she had a motive like she hated her they just had information about her not liking her mother, mm-hmm. which would be maybe her dad. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> they poison her not to kill her, but just to set in her head that she could have done it. Yes. Set all yes. this stuff in. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. So, so Dr. Stillingfleet has kind of gone through all of this. And then he says, Norma is completely sane. There is no mental illness, but she has been drugged up to the nines she has everything in her someone has been feeding her she's no injection marks she's not like snorting anything someone has been feeding her a concoction of all of these different kinds of drugs lsd to make her feel like she's dreaming and like imagine things hemp to like distort time this for this this for this like she's she's got everything in her Mm -hmm. it's it's disgusting like it's terrible um, so what you're saying is like kind of, yeah, she's, yeah. she's being used somehow mm-hmm. to think she's doing these things. And so then Poirot makes sure um, Francis had been given a sedative because she had been freaking out so much, but he brings her back into the room. She liked David. She liked David. So he brings her back into the room and then he kind of goes, isn't it queer that no one has been able to reach Mary Restrick? No one has been able to get her on the phone or get her here. And he takes out, he had he had gone to get something from the apartment and given it to Mrs. Oliver to hold on to. And so he gets her to take it out of a bag and it's a golden wig that he tells everyone that he had found in Francis's bag. And then he puts it on Francis's head and everyone goes, it's Mary Vestrick. You know what? Because when I asked you, how old is, how old is Mary? Is it, because I was thinking... Francis is Mary, but then you said no, she's about the bit younger than Andrew. So I'm thinking, okay, then it's not like someone that hasn't married someone super younger. Because my yeah. initial thing was like, oh, that's Francis is same as Mary, right? Yeah, they they right. give off like a they div- give off different vibes, like the way they dress yeah. and their appearance is ones yeah. to make themselves look younger and the others to make themselves right, right, look right, older. Right. Yeah. yeah, and she's a bit bit or whatever beatnik kind of persona totally different than a then yeah okay cool so and so of course at this point andrew restaurant gets all mad and 
Norma's upset. She's kind of going, why would my dad want to hurt me? And Poirot says, he's not your dad. His name is Richard Orwell or something like that. Oh, because she wouldn't remember what he looked like because he was gone so long. She was only five. And so what had happened was they, they had this whole plan to take Andrew Restrick's money because this guy, Richard Orwell, had been in South Africa or South America or wherever he had traveled to with him and knew that Andrew Restrick had died. And so when this inheritance came up with the brother, he had come back to England to kind of claim it. And this Louise Charpentier woman, Mm -hmm. I don't, so if you remember from the beginning. She would know it was Andrew, right? Because she had a relationship with him. Yes, she's the only person that could actually identify Andrew Restrick and know that that wasn't him. Ah, And that piece of paper that had flown out of the dresser that Mrs. Oliver had caught right near the beginning of the story. We never hear this as the readers until Poirot tells us after the fact, but it had been a um, like blotting paper of Louise writing to Andrew Restrick saying we should meet up. So they have this proof that she had written to Andrew Restrick and that he, or, you know, fake persona guy. And they, right. So they knew that he knew that she was living in this apartment. Yeah. So she had had to be killed. She had had to be gotten rid of so that they could get the money. And then the reason for killing David was that you were kind of saying this about why was, um, was, Andrew Restrick really just paying off David. David was a part of the whole thing. Like he was yeah. in on the the scheme and he had realized that he could blackmail right. them for more money. Yeah. So, so he, he got wasn't, it had nothing to do with Norma. Yeah. Yes, he, got so he got greedy and so and was, they had to kill him. Conveniently, like um conveniently putting like uh clues around or giving her drugs, probably. Probably, yeah. Because they're just a part together. of the thing. He's slipping things in her drinks or whatever. Yep, probably. Keeping okay, I'm not, doped up. I'm not too sorry he's dead then. That's okay. No, no, you don't. You, you don't. You don't get to like him that much throughout the book. No. And so the other thing was when those numbers, the sixty-seven and seventy-six, had fallen off mm-hmm. the doors. Yeah, I wondered it that was. It's because they just switched the letter, the numbers, so they could show make it seem to Norma like she was outside of number seventy-six. When really it was just her oh, yeah, own yeah, yeah, yeah. apartment, Jeez, 67. Yeah. Okay, because I wondered that that detail is like, that's kind of odd. But yeah, yeah it's kind of one of those things you're like, there's too much other things going on to like, yeah, hold on. Exactly. That. Yeah, that makes sense. She was getting, she was getting set up. I, I got that early, but that yeah. there's no way she's like, she doesn't have it together enough to be doing anything, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Wow. I think I covered it all. Do you have any questions? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I like the, the way that she writes. So they leave that piece of paper, you know, that one mm-hmm. little connection and stuff. And and I kind of felt like, yeah, Andrew was up to something kind of, and I, and I kind of had a feeling about Francis, but, you know, I guess you need to have more sometimes nuance of description to kind of put it together if they yeah. could have been picking yeah. it up, like, like you missed well, you hope if you read it, you'd get it, but you probably don't because you're only given what you... There's even more information to sift through when you read it. Yeah. 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 But it was really good. Was I just love these kind of stories. They're just super. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. This was great. It was super fun. Thanks, Kate. I think you, uh, you, like, you didn't have the full story, but you had enough of the little pieces, you know, of what was going on. Yeah. Well, I guess I've been listening. I've been listening to your podcast, which helps. And, uh, <laughs> but 
I, I, a few of your podcasts, I come, I think I've come up with better stories than the actual <laughs> with <laughs> earlier novels. I'm like, oh, this mm. is not complicated enough. That was too obvious. So it's funny. <laughs> if you've read enough of them, you go in with sometimes overthinking it or yeah. under. Oh, totally. Like, never know. So it's important to know at what stage in in her career that you know she wrote wrote the book because as a yeah, writer I you get a little bit better at your your craft of mystery yeah uh, yeah super fun thanks so much Kate enjoyed thanks, myself Sammy. okay I hope everyone listening at home had a good time if you'd like to hear more podcasts you can follow me at Tuesday Night Mystery Club anywhere you listen to podcasts and if you want to get updates on what's going on or see pictures of the books you can follow me on Instagram at Tuesday Night Mystery Club Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Debbie. I'll see you next week. Bye.